Welcome to Sea of Fire Ministries with James Myers. Today, James considers the eschatological resurrection to come at the Parousia, the second coming of Christ. You can find out more about our ministry by visiting us at seaoffire.org, or you can view James's latest videos on YouTube at Sea of Fire Ministries. We hope this message serves to strengthen and build up the church. So, the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verse 1 through verse 44. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. And after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and you were going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I might wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but, but they thought that he was speaking about, the taking re- about taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who was who called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the womb four days tomb for four days. Now uh, now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Mary and Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. When she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, 
Did I not say to you that if you would believe, if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. He who has ears to hear the word of God, let him hear. Our Father and our God, we ask for a tremendous amount of your providence and your presence now. Ask for your wisdom from on high. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear the testimony of the great resurrection which is to come. Father, we ask that you testify through your servant. And we ask that you open our hearts to the things of your truth, to our Savior to our Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Okay, now what we're going to consider today is actually our resurrection, okay? And there's much to be considered with the resurrection, especially as it is seen from the unregenerate, but even within the church. But God willing, we will get to the academic parts in, in, in these subsections at a later time. Today, we are going to consider somewhat at a surface level, but the importance and the necessity to recognize our gr- the resurrection which is to come. Now, the reason we're starting with, with Lazarus is because Lazarus is dead. Okay, for some reason when, <coughs> when ministers, excuse me, <coughs> when ministers speak of the resurrection, excuse me, speak of the resurrection, or when they're giving funeral services, they will say about the deceased, (coughs) (coughs) excuse me, okay, hopefully that got out, they will say about the deceased, you know, they they passed away, they went to a better place, and all the rest, it's important to recognize there is no resurrection unless there is death, okay, now Lazarus is resuscitated basically he's brought back to life and where he will later die which will make the point somewhat briefly and in passing however jesus comes after lazarus is dead and after his funeral okay now what i want us to do is recognize that this man lazarus is dead he had a funeral with his loved ones and with his friends the jews who all loved him and jesus was not at the funeral Jesus is not Lord of death. He is the Lord of life. He comes to open our graves, okay? Just to set this out first, this is the reason we're, we're looking at Lazarus, because all of us, every single one of us, will have a funeral time where our family and our loved ones will be, will be weeping, they will be around our casket, and before we are buried into the grave, That is what is going on with Lazarus. It's essential that we embrace this fact. Many of us spend our whole lives thinking passively about death. 
when it, it's again the, our greatest enemy and it's inevitable it's inevitable unless Christ comes during our life which would be fantastic but well it will be scary however this is why we're considering this Lazarus is dead and Jesus waits until he's buried to come to this place okay so he comes to this place and we considered somewhat briefly last week his discussion with his disciples okay so he goes they all go and they're you know they come to this place Martha comes out and meets him and he and she says Lord if you would have been here if you were here then my brother would not have died we will notice that Mary says the same thing they're both they're both weeping because they're both mourning because Lazarus is dead and they're thinking Jesus you could have healed him you could have prevented this thing from happening okay now, Jesus says to, to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he dies, yet he shall live. He who believes in me and lives shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? And she says, yes, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come. Right? And so then she calls Mary. Right? And Mary comes, falls down on her knees, and says the same thing to Jesus. Okay? And that's where Jesus... Now... It also says that he groaned within himself. This is where a concordance is handy. This is where a Greek dictionary is handy. He, was, he groaned within himself and he was troubled in his spirit. This groaning is more of a fierce anxiety, a fierce anger. God detests death. He hates sin and so he hates death. Jesus is troubled. He's groaning in himself. And then once he comes to the tomb, it happens again. Jesus groans, but he weeps. He weeps for these sisters, but he weeps at the thought, the idea, the fact, the truth of death. Our God is a God of life. He gives life. He sustains life. And because of our sin, now there's death. And Jesus weeps at this. This is not how it's supposed to be. We sh there shouldn't be a such thing as cancer. There shouldn't be such a thing as war. These bodies should be perfect, whole, and complete. Our love should be unwavering. Our, our hatred that, is, that, that exists within the world should not be. The lilies of the field should not die. Men and women, neither supposed to die that's not how we were created that's not how we were made but we have fallen away from that and Jesus Christ the Son of God weeps at death and he's groaning in himself he hates it he's furious he's furious but then so he told them to take away the stone and Martha said, Lord, by this, this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Now, in the King James Version, it says, Lord, he stinketh. I just think that's funny. I think that's a fantastic translation. Because again, by four days, he's, he's, his body is decaying. And Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Which is basically what he was telling her before. Then they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes, and this is what I was alluding to in our previous message. He's, he's praying this for the sake of the people. He already knows our Father is, it has heard him and hears him always, but he's praying this for the people 
So he says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. This is for them. This is for them, so that they might believe that I am the resurrection and I am the life. Okay, this is being done to pass down from generation to generation that he is our only hope. He is the only way. He is the resurrection and the life. So this is being done for your sake, my Father, for our sake, my God. Thank you that you have heard me so that these people can believe. Now, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. He didn't say, hey, dead man, dead man, whoever's in there. Hey, one who's dead in the tomb, will you please come out? He, this, he didn't request. He calls his sheep by name. Every one of us will be called by name. Miraculously, incredibly, there will be a loud voice from heaven calling. All men and women will be raised, but his people will be called by, by name. So he calls Lazarus by name and he doesn't say, will you come out, please? This is a command. Death has no hold over him. The prince of death, the keeper of death, the lord of death, so to speak, has no power over the son of God. So when Jesus Christ calls us by name and commands us to come out of the grave, that's a command we don't get to not follow. We don't have an option. The Son of God commands it. Just like God said through his word, let there be light and there was light. The Son of God, the word of God, name, you know, Lazarus, come forth. Get out of that tomb. Get out of that death trap. Get get out of there out of this filth and decay and come out of the grave and he comes out and he's wrapped in all these linen you know this is what they would do to preserve the body so to speak but this is the burial clothing this this linen and he tells he commands the people who are around there to loose him to loose him and let him go to free him from death these these garments of death Take him, basically unshackle him from this entrapment of death. Lazarus, come forth, loose him, and let him go. This man is free. This is a depiction of our own resurrection. Now, he's being resuscitated. He's, Lazarus is going to die again. We've seen many times where life is restored to people in, in the Bible. But these people will die again another time. Jesus Christ, that's why this is a resuscitation. Jesus Christ is the only one who has been resurrected. He is the first fruits, which we will consider when we get to 1 Corinthians. However, we must, the resurrection, okay, is, is often seen within the church as basically something to encourage us that we have new life now, right? That we are reborn, we, are, we, are, we have been given new life. And then, then the other side of the argument is, well, no, this is a historical fact. And so usually the church is between these two opinions. Is, it, is this absolutely historical fact, or is this just to symbolize our new life? The answer is yes. And I don't understand how difficult this is. There is no new life 
So in other words, the resurrection does give us hope, give us, gives us this true life. It's because Christ was raised from the dead that he has the power to give us new life, that the spirit of truth truly does come to his people. However, without the fact of the, of the resurrection, that's just a vain hope. That is credulity. The fact precedes the hope. Without the resurrection, there is nothing in which to hope for. But so it's both answers. Yes, it must be historical if it is to be any hope whatsoever. But yes, it is a hope for this life as well. Yes, and we must not lose sight of that. We are given new life by the resurrection of our Savior, by the Spirit of God, because, of, because Christ died and was raised. Okay? Now, let us go to 1 Corinthians. And part of this we're going to be somewhat brief, brief about. What I, what I really want to kind of focus on is towards the end. So, but we are going to read it in its entirety. Um, so, chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand. This is the gospel by which you also are saved, if you hold fast the, that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, this is the gospel, that God, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And, and then he was seen by Cephas, and then the, 12, and then the four, 500, and, and then the James, and then last of all, as one born out of due time, he appeared to me. So if you can't believe this because of the testimony, of, he also appeared to me. But he's saying, this is the gospel. This is the gospel, that Christ died for our sins, he was buried dead, and he was raised for our justification. He will get to that. But he was raised for our justification. All three of those are the central, central necessity of Christ's work and what he did and the gospel in its entirety. Christ died for our sins. He was buried, just like we will be buried, and he was raised for our justification. Now he's writing this to people, most of whom believe that the resurrection is past. So let's just continue reading. At, starting at verse 12 though. Now if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no, which happens today? Which happens today? Many people think that it's, that it, that it doesn't matter if Jesus Christ actually literally was raised from the dead. It just gives us hope of this new life. The resurrection is past. This resurrection now just gives us new life. That's what this is. You know, without getting into too much of this, our idea, especially today and back then, especially in Corinth and so forth, the Jews did believe mostly of a bodily resurrection. We've seen the Sadducees who don't even believe in a resurrection. However, for the most part, the Jews believed in a bodily resurrection. We are created, very briefly, body, soul, and spirit, whether you're bipartite or tripartite is irrelevant. Either way, we are made with soul and body. Both the soul and the body have been corrupted in sin. However, so, oh my, I didn't want to get into this. However, when we die, when we die, before we, before the final resurrection, before the culmination of all things, there will be what's called an intermediate state, okay? Where our souls will be in the presence of God, okay? But not our bodies. So we won't yet be complete. We will be enjoying glory with our God 
and we will know each other. We'll be able to distinguish each other. And this is for this is a conversation for another time. Very, very, very thought provoking, very difficult to be honest with you. But but it's wonderful. It's also wonderful. But we are meant. We are we are created in bodies. So we are not yet complete even after we die until we are given back our bodies to, to be made perfect. Though. Now, there's much to be even said about this, whether or not we are given back our bodies, whether it's truly our bodies, or he gives us a new body. But that dispute notwithstanding, we are body and soul. So once that culmination happens, we are, we are not only restored to our former you know, state of body and soul, but we are, we are made into that body and soul in which God has intended Basically, Adam and Eve were in probation in the Garden of, Garden of Eden, basically to test them. And if they would not have fallen, we would be enjoying this glory now. But God knows what he's doing. And so he, he is going to make it even better than it was in the Garden, where we will be perfect, perfect in righteousness, perfect in cleanliness, not a spot, not a wrinkle, not a blemish whole and complete, enjoying the light of our God and reflecting the, the light of our God, being filled with the light of God. Absolutely. Where that's not just portioned out, so to speak, from day to day, where when it's convenient for us, we follow him and we seek him through his word. And when it's not, we do something else. No, no, that glory to come is a joy like no other. You, 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 you will not care about the things of this world any longer. And that's the new life. The new life, our salvation, takes us to glory now before we realize it in the intermediate state and before he comes again. There's much to be said about this. There's much to be said about this. However, what Paul is saying is, if there's no, you know, our preaching is in vain. Your salvation is in vain if there is no resurrection. The resurrection has already passed. And, and if in this life we have, we have hope for, of Christ only, then we are the most to be pitied. We'll read that. So let's just read on. So, so how, can, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. This is his, this is his uh, reductio ad absurdum uh, argument. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that, re, that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. This is, this is all that makes sense. You know, if you say there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ himself was not raised. And our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. Why do you believe in a dead Jesus? Why do you believe in, in anything of this Christ who is in the tomb or has been taken away somewhere? If there is no resurrection, your hope is in vain. You're, you're hoping in nothing. Then also, oh, and if Christ, yeah, then, um, for if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, 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 you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most to be pity, the most pitiable. Now, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 16 through 19, Paul says to Timothy, But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. 
Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. All this to say, let us beware, let us keep watch. There are many wolves in sheep's clothing out there saying it doesn't matter whether or not Jesus Christ was literally raised in, in history. This is just for you to enjoy and to live a good life and to be humble and to walk in the light of God and whatever. That's all nonsense if Jesus isn't raised. And that's what the great apostle is saying. But there were, since the beginning of the church, this is early on. This is before most of the Gospels were even written. Probably before Mark was even written. And he's writing, this is early on in the church. This heresy has been since the beginning of the church, and it continues. This isn't new. These people will attribute it to our modern ideas, our modern knowledge of science. You know, so we, can't, we can't believe in this, you know, knowing the technology of our time and the sciences of our time and so forth. We use wireless telephones and so forth, so how can we believe in this raised Jesus? I don't know what that has to do with anything, but this has been going on since the beginning of the church. This isn't new. That's what we must recognize. They are merely the Goliaths that we must go up, uh, go up against for the sake of God and for the sake of his testimony. These are liars. If there is no resurrection, our hope is in vain. That's why if you do not believe Jesus Christ is raised, I don't care what you call yourself. You are not a Christian. You are not a true Christian. You can call yourself a Christian all you want. You can claim whatever denomination you want. You can claim Rudolf Bultmann. You know, man, he's just this wise teacher. He knows, so, you know, I'm a Bultimist. I don't care what you call yourself. You're not a son or a daughter of our Father. You just aren't. The gospel is that Christ died for sins, he was buried, and he was raised. That's the gospel. You take one out, or you partial out, According to your own will and according to what you like and you think makes sense, you're not a Christian. You have divided the word of God. Verse 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, remember, the Bible talks much about, especially believers who have died, it talks about them us falling asleep which I think is a tender thing. Remember, when Jesus says, you know, Lazarus is sleeping, I go to wake him up again. You know, it's this analogy of sleeping. Well, we must also recognize that men and women today are sleeping. Now, the men and women who are dead in their sins, unsaved, are asleep in their, the graves of their own hearts. They're already dead. They're dead inside. That's what gives us life. So that's why salvation gives, truly gives us life, brings us from the clutches of death into the glory of God. But there are many in this world who we must call to life. That is our calling. That is our most blessed duty. No matter what you do, no matter what vocation you choose, whether you work on car, whatever you decide to do, if you're a famous race car driver, you're still your only soul primary occupation in this world is to preach the name of Jesus Christ and pray God he brings many people to himself 
that he reaps all of his harvest, which he was promised and which he promised. I will not lose one. I have not lost one. But we are meant to be those beautiful feet upon the mountains to bring this news, to wake the people up. Loved ones, the church needs an awakening. There are many people asleep in the churches, in the pews, kneeling, genuflecting, asleep, dead inside, and truly dead to the things of God. They must be awakened. They must be awakened for Christ's sake and for their own sake. What a tragedy to go through, the, to go through your whole life dead only to die again and forever perish ultimately and absolutely that is not what god that is not how god has created us but we have fallen away and if those who choose to remain dead will remain dead our only hope is christ and there is much to be said about this. Again, God willing, we will have this time of introspection and, and to talk this stuff out. But again, you all know, I've checked all this stuff out. The only hope is Him. Our only hope is Him. And He's the answer that, He answers all of the questions. Much is still a mystery. Much is still a mystery, okay? This side of glory, much is still a mystery, understandably. Remember, Paul even said, you know, the mystery that was in the Old Testament, you know, much, much of this has been revealed, but there are still mysteries. We don't know exactly what we will be when we are raised. John even says that in his first epistle. He says, we don't know yet what we will be, but we do know this, that we will be like Christ because we will see him for who he is. We will actually see him and we will be just like him, which is glorious enough how these bodies will be, what we will look like, will we be able to identify each other? That I will say yes. But what these bodies will look like, will they be radiating? Will, be, will we be able to go through rooms like Jesus Christ did because he's, our also, he's also our indication of what the resurrection is like? All these questions we can, we can meditate upon carefully. Carefully. Don't ever make them doctrine. When it's a mystery, you count them as mysteries and you consider them as mysteries. But it's a wonderful thing to, to consider what the glory of what the glory of the believers will look like in glory. But since man, but since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one according each one in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, he's the first one. He's the one who's brought us this resurrection. He is the one who has brought us this salvation. So he's the first fruits. After those, uh, afterward, those who are who are Christ at His coming, then comes the end when He delivers the kingdom to the to God the Father. When He puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. There's much to be said about this, and that we will that we must wait for another time, God willing. But because I want to focus on kind of towards the end. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. Remember, the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet. Remember, the Lord said to my Lord, sit on my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So basically, the, um, 
he has put all, all authority, though, under uh, the feet of Christ. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted, so God the Father. Now, when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Very briefly, in glory, the, God will remain sovereign, right? And his authority, you know, he is still creator and so forth. But he, there will be no need for a king. There will be no need for this kind of authority. We will be reflective of who he is. It won't be an unwarranted command. We won't, we won't be struggling to follow his word and his truth. We will be like him, for we will see him as he truly is. So this authority, God will be one, okay? He is one. But in essence, all authority that has been given to the Son will be given to the Father. Will be given to the Father. No more principalities, authorities, and, and so forth. Absolute freedom, which He has given us now. This is true liberty. To be freed from the shackles of sin and death is absolute victory. It's absolute freedom. We do serve a sovereign. And his name is Jesus Christ. We are not independent of ourselves. We are not independent from the, glory, from the, from the commandments of God. Neither was his son when he was sent to this earth. Now, skipping ahead, because this is mostly what I want to discuss, starting at verse 35 until verse uh, 49, and then we'll continue. I want to talk about this somewhat briefly. But someone will say, how are the dead raised up, and with what body do they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat and some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. Let me first start with these first three, uh, few verses. But someone will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body did they come? Foolish one. What you sow is not made alive unless it dies. When you plant a seed, when you plant a seed what comes out of the ground is not the seed. Right? What comes out is this plant. It's totally different than the seed. The seed, in essence, dies. It ceases being a seed and becomes a flower. It becomes this plant. It becomes this. this. And what you sow, you do not sow that body which shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. So in other words, when we're in this grave, remember, Christ is the promised seed. So we are the seed of the promised seed. So when we are planted into the ground, the body that will be raised up will be according to God himself. But it will not be this seed. This is corruptible. Let's remember that because we briefly discussed what Paul said, and we will get to that here shortly. But these are corruptible. They must be given in corruption. These bodies are mortal. They must be given immortality. So what is planted into the earth at our when we go to sleep, when we fall asleep, when it's our time for slumber. What comes out of the grave when he calls us by name and commands us to come forth is not this. It's something much more glorified. It's in fact just, to put it simply, it's glorified.
but we will consider that. So all flesh is not the same flesh. But the, so this is categor, categorizing basically these terms. Okay, not all flesh is the same basically. But there's one kind of flesh of men, right? One flesh of of us. Another flesh of animals. Another fish and another birds. Which one has the greatest flesh? Obviously, mankind. We are given dominion, so these, this is a differentiation between flesh. Not all flesh is the same flesh. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. So again, comparisons between these two bodies, the celestial and the terrestrial. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for one star differs from another star in glory. Again, just the differences. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, in sin. And that's mine. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. Very quickly, the word here, because many people think spiritual means incorporeal, right? Something not physical, something not material. That is not what he's saying. Again, we are made body and soul. This spiritual is, is, is truly, is the true perfection of soul and body. There's, there's a natural body, right? That's what we have now. And then there's one that we've risen up in the spirit of God, supernaturally, not a natural body. Um, so, yeah, there is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first Adam became a, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. See, we all, we, we know he was raised bodily. He, he already made that point. We know that. But he is a life-giving spirit. This is our spiritual body. It comes from Christ, from his procurement with what he did. It comes from God himself. But Jesus Christ is the first fruits. Jesus Christ first. And those who are then those who are his. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, because obviously. And afterward, the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. Remember, out of the dust, God created Adam, right? And Adam truly means man. In the Hebrew, it just it just means man. Um, but he was made of the dust. The second man is the Lord of heaven, from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also who those who were made of the dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. So, Adam was made from the dust. Christ was begotten in eternity, always has been, and came from heaven. So much more. Those, you know, we, we are still in Adam, and so we will have the same, you know, we will return to the dust, just like God said. Just like he had cursed Adam. From the dust you came, to the dust you will return. That's why it's given in funerals. So that is going to happen. However, so much greater are those who are in Christ, who will be given heavenly, but this is a heavenly life. He's a life-giving spirit. He's a life-giving spirit, okay? So it's just, again, the, the comparison between the, our, first represent, our first representative, who we're all in and we're all like. I know we like to blame Adam and Eve, and if we were there, we would have done something differently. That is not the case. We're all sinners. We all are just like Adam and just like Eve. Okay, prone to hear the devil, hear the devil's temptations, and fall away, and try to dethrone God and take his place. Right? However, when we are in Christ, we are given a true heavenly body, heavenly life, a heavenly life, a life 
from heaven for a life to heaven. Verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. So basically what he's saying is this flesh, this flesh cannot inherit the kingdom of God. It must be given a new body. There's much to be said about this. However, there, we would not survive a moment you know, in the presence of God. That's why people were always so afraid when God came to them. Or even when the angel of the Lord, perhaps a Christophany, I believe so fully, they all, they all thought they were going to die immediately. No one stands before the face of God and lives unless he makes them in such a way to live in his presence. Behold, I tell you a mystery. Here's a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. So real quickly, this is just saying, when that trumpet is blown, when Christ comes again, there will be people on this earth. Okay, so... Basically, Christ is the first fruits, then those who are asleep, and then those who are on this earth will be taken into heaven and be given, give, be given new bodies. So he's just given the order of things basically here. But he's saying in a moment, in the twinkle, this is going to happen in a blink of an eye. <laughs> How incredible. Picture that. Meditate upon that. Somehow, in the twinkle of an eye, he's going to call us all by name at one time, and we'll all come forth and ascend with our Savior into heaven, into glory. This is, this is the gift. This is a gift that God has sent to his people and for his people. He has sent his Son, the gift of life, to this world to call his people to himself so that we all, on that last day, and even now, are given new lives. But in that day, we will all be given new body, bodies, incorruptible bodies, immortal bodies, and immortal lives. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? Again, that first part is coming from, comes from Isaiah, and then Hosea is the last two. However, at the day of Pentecost, and Paul himself referred to this verse talking about Jesus Christ and his resurrection. What he's saying here is, then shall it be, come to pass when we are all given these new... When we, dur, at the last resurrection, when the trumpet sounds and we are all raised, then will it be said, because this has already been done with Jesus Christ. He is the first fruits. He truly was raised from the raised from the dead bodily with a glorified body. That's why he could go through walls and so forth. But he still had to, he still had the nail printed he still had the nail prints in his hands. He still had the hole in his side. That's why I think we will never forget the cross. I believe, and again, this is conjecture, but I, don't, I think it's fair conjecture. He was ascended that way. I think he will always have these. I think when we see him, as he truly is, he will still have these marks to remind us 
We are not saved of ourselves. We are saved by the name of Christ. We are saved by the Son of God, whom He has sent to die for our sins, to be buried, and to be raised for our justification. However, so this verse, which applies to Christ, still applies to Christ, because death is swallowed up in His victory, in His victory. And, O oh death, where is your sting? The Prince, the, the Lord of life, has defeated the Lord of death. Death, where is your victory? Oh, Hades, or, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, oh, hell, where is your, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. Briefly, the strength of sin is the law. Now, what Paul talks much about is that we are not saved by works, right? We cannot work out our righteousness. And again, that's why I continued it, because the apostle says, and that's true. That's true. So what he's saying, though, is not that the law is sinful. The law isn't bad. We are bad. We are evil. The law shows us our corruption in that we can't follow it. We can't spend 10 minutes without, without transgressing our God. I know that's you know I know we don't like to think of that. That's rather inconvenient. We like to think the best of ourselves. We must think the best of our God and recognize through his providence he has made us what we are. But we must not be like the Pharisee praying to God, thank you for not making me like this publican over there, for making me like this tax collector, while the tax collector is beating his breast on his knees, pleading for forgiveness. Christ says that man is justified. Not the man who's saying, thank you for making me so great, but the man who's pleading to God for forgiveness. I need you. I'm broken. I don't care how righteous I am. I don't care what if I'm feeding the poor. I don't care if I am healing the sick. I don't care what ministry I might be serving you in. I am fallen. I am fallen and corrupted, and I need you. I need you to mend me. I need you to make me complete. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is what the apostle this is kind of how the apostle concludes this part. So all of this to say, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, basically they're synonymous, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So this hope, this new life, we truly are given this new life because of his resurrection, because of our, our new birth in Christ. We are given this hope. We are given this new life. So be immovable. Stay. Be strong and immovable. Stubborn. Stubbornly against this world, against the devil, against the principalities of this life. For our God remain. Stay strong. Stay committed. You, you, will, you will have all these tendencies. The devil will come and whisper in your ears all sorts of nonsense. Stay immovable. Be on guard. Keep watch. However, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Be diligent about this. Be immovable from the things of this world. Be steadfast, 
remain in Christ and abound in the works of the Lord. Now, that's not just testifying to other men and women. That is seeking our God through his word. That is praying. That is fasting even. And that is the fellowship. Okay? So there are many works of the Lord to be done. Not to save us, but because we are saved. Because we are saved. Stay immovable and steadfast. Abounding. Not just remaining. Not just, you know, deciding this is the work we're going to do for him today. Always increasing. Abounding. Until our work overflows with the things of Christ. Until our cup runs over in that respect. Knowing. That your labor is not in vain in the Lord. We have a true hope. We have true hope. Just like, just like uh, Paul had said, if in this life only there's hope of Christ, we are the most to be pitiable. Or we're the most pitiable. We're the most to be pitied. We have true hope. Our Savior our Savior went to a cross, suffered all of his life because he, is, because he is God, fulfilled all righteousness perfectly, was nailed to a cross to bear all the sins of this dark world. That's why it was dark. To be buried just like we are in a sealed tomb and guarded. To be buried and to be raised for our justification, for our true hope. So let us be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our work is not in vain. This is not a hopeless thing. All the, the rest of your works for the world is a hopeless thing. This is passing away. They're, they're necessary, okay? I'm not saying th these things should not be done. But just like Jesus told the Pharisees, you should have done this without leaving these other things undone. So we all have vocations. We all have ways by which to trade and, and you know, procure what you need. Sustenance for your families and so forth. And you must do that. You must do that. But this is our primary calling. This is our chief labor. This is our chief vocation. Praise be to God. This is not a toiling thing. This is not our curse was was that we will we will work the land by the sweat of our brow. This is not the sweat of our brow. This is the sweat of his brow. This is the blood from his brow. Our labor is not only in vain. It's not even worthy to be compared to the glory that is to come. Our savior went through so much suffering, we shouldn't be surprised that we will too. Remember, the disciples, that's why they were always glorifying God for being persecuted. They didn't like it. Jesus didn't enjoy the cross. He didn't love being mocked, didn't love being spit upon. Neither will we. But we rejoice. We rejoice in that that, that toil, whatever, might bring many to glory. Might bring many to Christ. It's said that the seed or the church, the seed of the church is watered by the blood of the martyrs. Now, I don't agree with that. The seed of the church is watered by the blood of Christ. However, Paul does talk about he and, um, and Apollos 
So Paul might plant and Apollos might water, but it's only God who brings the increase. You don't know what kind of increase God's going to do. Through your suffering, through the most almost obscure, seemingly obscure thing you do for the things of the Lord. It might just be some passing comment you make to a colleague, to an acquaintance, to somebody that truly changes their perspective, which God will use to change their hearts and lead them to himself. Let us be warriors for our Savior, not, not taking up a sword, not a true sword. We take the sword of the gospel. We don't, we're not here for that kind of a war. We are not here for that. We are here to defeat the evil of this world, to restore all things. That's what we're here for. God always has a remnant, always has a remnant. There are still many in this world who have not bowed the knee to Baal. We bow the knee necessarily, <laughs> you know, reverently and passionately and gratefully to our king, to the one true king, to the one true king. So he, him alone we should serve, not ourselves. Again, you must do these other vocations to provide for your family, for yourself and for your family. That's what you're called to. That's what we're all called to, you know. So we must do that. That is also doing the work of the Lord. But let us recognize the true work, the greatest work we will have this side of the Jordan is to serve him by reaping his harvest to bring many sons and daughters to the Father and to, to God our Father through his Son, Jesus Christ. We are given new life. Let us preach that new life everywhere. Let us preach this raised Christ who will raise us up as well to the ends of the earth. We preach the cross. We preach the tomb. Came, then was empty. We preach the risen Savior. We don't have to only look at the resurrection once a year at Easter time. We don't have to look at the birth of Christ, his incarnation, only at Christmas time. This is, this is wonderful news. This is cosmic news. This is an eternal, an eternal message it will reverberate in eternity. Let it reverberate in our hearts now to send out to the ends of the earth, to the most distant lands, to the most remote people, to the, to the most native tribes, to different tongues and different nations, to bring them in to the sheepfold of the kingdom. There's only one good shepherd there is only one who can lead the way into the fold. But we are called to call those to the shepherd. And then it's his to bring them into the fold. We save no one. We preach Christ, him crucified, 
in him risen. Our salvation is not ours. We don't do that. But we labor in the work of the Lord so that he might gain an abundant harvest. Our Savior suffered much. He deserves the fruit of his sufferings so that he might see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. Remember, in Isaiah, so that he might see the labor of his soul and be satisfied, including through our work. Not to, not to please him and not to gain a crown, but out of the outworking, out of what he's done, so we do. Bringing people to the name of Jesus Christ so that they might finally meet their maker now, not when it's too late. Damnation. Damnation is the work of the tempter, is the work of our own sins. It's a dark, dark thought. That's why we don't like thinking about it. That's why we choose to reject it. Because there's nothing logical about it. There's no proof. There's all the proof in the world. But the good news is, that's not inevitable. He has a remnant. He has a remnant. We don't know who they are. We don't know for sure who are his. We can get a glimpse. We can get an idea, right? We, we can determine by their fruits whether they are his or not. And that's the best we can do. But we don't know who are his. So we preach him to everybody. We share the good news. We bring this gospel everywhere we go. So that not only people are not damned, but that they can actually be given the true life, a glorified body, an eternal life, a perfected life, one again, which we can only meditate upon and long for and hope for. But in this life, let us be steadfast, immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor is not in vain. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for your salvation, for your absolute and full salvation. And what a glorious redemption. What a tremendous salvation. You have sent your Son, your only Son, to procure your people, King of kings, to suffer and yet be raised to sit at your right hand till you make his enemies a footstool and father wash us of our sins wash us of our iniquities whatever tempestuous seas go on in our hearts make them still and rise up in us a holy flame a fire to kindle throughout the world in your name and to your glory. It's in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.
Thank you for listening to Sea of Fire Ministries. We hope and pray this has blessed you in your walk with God, and we hope you join us again next week. You have been listening to Sea of Fire Ministries, where the Word of God is life.